Integrity Gym with a few guys that play basketball here. Well, I gotta be honest with you, I never was a very good basketball player. You know that saying, white guys can't jump? They kind of coined it after they saw me jump, so <laughs> I'm one of those guys. But I, I did enjoy playing. We used to play every Saturday uh, down at the YMCA. Uh, one aspect of the game that uh, I was okay at was I could play defense and I could, I could get the rebound. I wasn't a good jumper, but I could get into position to get the rebound or block somebody out. You know how you box them out? So let me ask you a couple of questions. Um, uh, can you explain to me what rebounding is really all about? Uh, rebounding is basically just picking up a shot that your player missed and giving another opportunity to put it in the basket or make a better play. So like, it, it could be the difference between losing the game and winning the game. Let's say if you missed a shot in the first quarter and you didn't get the rebound, say in the fourth quarter, uh, you lost by two points, you could have tied the game or maybe won the game. I'd say it's really important for some people because some people just don't really have the chance to make shots, so they get their points on the board by helping other people. Another term is crashing the board or kind of protecting the glass, you know? So there's offense and defensive rebounds. Can you explain the difference uh, between the two? Uh, offense is uh, picking a, or getting the rebound that your player missed so you can put another point back in or make a better shot. Uh, defense is to prevent the other the enemy team for making another shot, so you okay. get the ball. Uh, do you have anyone that's a favorite player that um, you know you would say would was a is or was a good rebounder? The one that first comes to mind is Dennis Rodman. He was a tremendous hustler. You'd see him diving and, and going for the ball and, and saving it. And you know it's interesting because he spent hours watching videotapes on how the ball came off the rim. He studied players, and that's how he became good at what he did. So that's a that's an important. How about you? You got anybody that comes to mind? Maybe Giannis. Okay. Giannis Antetokounmpo. More, more, more modern basketball player. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. You know, he's just because of his height and the length of his arms, he's able to get the rebounds very easy. He's like a very, he's like a completely different animal than most other players, especially in the paint. Like all you, all, all you see him do is like either grab rebounds or like make lays. So. He covers a lot of area because he's got a massive body. <laughs> How about you? Anybody that you would say? I really watch basketball. <laughs> Michael Jordan probably made 50% of his shots, and he was one of the greatest for sure. So that means that, you know, half the time he was going to make it and half the time he wasn't. So when he had a guy like Rodman on the team, that could help him tremendously because new sh another shot could be put up, another basket could be made. Thank you guys so much. Really appreciate you. Keep playing. You guys look fantastic out here. Well, as you can gather uh, from the title, this is, we're titling this Rebound Sunday. This is not a typical Sunday sermon if you're, um, you're visiting this morning, but I think, it'll be, um, I think it'll be encouraging. So we're calling it Rebound Sunday, and um, we're using the rebound theme to help us understand how God wants us to rebound from situations and circumstances that happen in our lives. So I'm going to invite God today. Um, he doesn't really need an invitation because you brought him with you because he lives inside you. But we're going to ask him to bless the service today in the message. The Holy Spirit will empower it. Let's pray. Father God, this morning we thank you that we can come as your people. And God, we can declare your goodness and faithfulness through our worship. And as we gather around your word today, I pray that you'd bless everything that happens uh, from this front end, Lord. And, and God, that you would just draw us close to you. 
I pray by your Holy Spirit that you would encourage us and teach us and, and Lord, draw us closer. And Lord, I know there's some this morning that they need to rebound. God, they need to get up again. So I pray that by your word, you would able, enable that to happen. Bless the service in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So how many of you know that life really isn't fair? And it's not always kind. We know that. And it's not really, um, it's the reality that we've watched others or felt ourselves being knocked to the ground at times. Circumstances, situations can knock us down. Some people get knocked down and get back up again. And others get knocked down and stay down. And so God wants us to understand and he wants to give us grace to bound up again. He wants us to rebound from the things that have happened to us, things that we're, we may not understand, those kind of why questions. And, and, and we've had those at times. God, why did this happen to me? Why have I experienced this? Why do I have to go through this? And I've had people ask me, why has God allowed this to happen to me? And I, I have to be honest, at times I have to look at them and say, I don't know why. I really don't. And sometimes answers are hard to find. There's a beautiful text in Psalm 39, verse 13. And it's actually a, a song. It's not, David wrote it as a song. And um, it's kind of interesting because the kind of history of that, uh, that psalm, we don't know when it actually was written as far as uh, in David's life, what he was going through. But he really felt like God was kind of over him, kind of pushing him down a little bit. Maybe there's some things that were going on in his life and he felt like God's hand was kind of heavy on him, you know? And um, verse 13 says, Oh, spare me that I may recover strength and be joyful once again. So how do you rebound when life deals you a hard blow? Disappointment, despair, tears, loneliness, anger, unforgiveness, rejection come my way. When you have no answers for the questions. And you may be sitting here today and maybe you're thinking to yourself, I need some answers. I need some answers today. And maybe these are some of the questions that you might be looking at today. How do I pull my family together when it's been blown apart? Is there healing from my pain? Is there recovery after great sorrow? Is there life after divorce? Can I rebound after the funeral's over? Can the Holy Spirit sustain me in my infirmity? Will my sorrow be turned to joy? Our text says it well, oh, spare me that I may recover my strength. And what David's really saying is, God, let me rally again. Let me get back up on my feet. Let me experience life again and be joyful. One translation says, recover my strength, O Lord, recover my strength that I may be joyful again. So we need to ask ourselves a huge question this morning. Is God big enough? Can God enable me to rebound? And there are some of you today, I, I really believe God wants you to help, help you rebound, to bounce back up. You want to recover and you want to let God help you get back on your feet. You want God to enable you to rebound, to get back up again. You know, this book is filled 
with people that rebounded. I'm just going to give you a short list. This is not an exhaustive list at all, but Moses rebounded from the desert of failure and loneliness. Abraham rebounded from a season of despair. Jacob rebounded after Esau hated him. David rebounded after sinning. Nehemiah rebounded after the project was stalled. Hezekiah rebounded after mental illness. Isaiah rebounded after feeling unworthy. And then we go to the New Testament. Peter rebounded after being beaten and imprisoned. John rebounded on the Isle of Patmos after being put in a pot of oil to burn. Paul rebounded from being a persecutor of Christians. And John Mark rebounded from being a failure on his first missionary trip. And James rebounded after suffering great persecution. So the word of God is full of people and examples that God didn't leave out. He wanted us to know that there's people in past history that have rebounded from tremendous difficulty. And you know, it's not really important so much what kind of week you had today. It's not so important that you might have felt like you failed God during the week. What's important is you got up and you came here this morning. You came here this morning because you want God in your life. You want God to work in your life. So God's looking for some rebounders. God will help us get up. Psalm 66, verse 12 says, we went through the fire and through the water, yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. Psalm 119, 28 says, my soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Joel 2.25 says, I will restore the years that the swarming locusts have eaten. Um, in Hebrews 12, it says, therefore, lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. I love how the Living Bible kind of translates that verse. It says, take a new grip with your tired hands. Stand firm on your shaky knees. And then we find in Jeremiah 31, 25, it says, I will satisfy the weary and every uh, languishing soul uh, will be replenished. So rebounding is of God, rebounding is by God, and rebounding is for God's glory. I want you to hear a very compelling testimony this morning from Susan Ranieri. She's going to come. Susan and her husband, Peter, have been a part of this church for just over a year. They came from a, uh, a church in New Jersey where they were very actively involved and uh, we're, we've benefited so much by, by having them here. And I want you to hear her story, and, and once she finishes, I'll come back and just share a few points about how God wants to help us rebound. Let's welcome Susan this morning. There's not enough furniture up here. <laughs> I feel very exposed. <laughs> oh. You know, that was encouraging to me this morning just to hear that list that Pastor Frank just gave of um, people who have struggled, men of God, you know, people like Moses. and um, Because sometimes when we're in the thick of it, we can feel very alone and we can feel like we're the only person in the world who has ever gone through this. And um, it's a good reminder that God uses those times in our lives to... Um, to better us sometimes, but um, 
So as Pastor Frank said, we have lived here for just over a year and we're very thankful for the Ministry of Integrity Church. Um, it's just been a big blessing to us to be here, to be a part of this so encouraging, such a vibrant, healthy church, and we're very thankful to be a part of it. Um, part of the reason that we moved to this area of the country is um, we have a son, um, Peter II, who lives in Bayville, and uh, so when we thought about uh, downsizing, selling our home that we raised our family in, we figured we'd probably end up in Long Island because we have three grandchildren in Long Island. So we have um, uh, Peter III, and then uh, Sophia, and then Bella, who's only seven months old. And as a matter of fact, she's sick this morning. So mom and dad went to a wedding this weekend, upstate New York, and we had planned to take care of the children for them. And uh, we took her into the pediatrician this week, and she's got an ear infection and a cold. So um, my husband stayed home with the three kids um, this morning and sent me here on, on my own. And his, his last words to me before I left were, hurry back. <laughs> <laughs> but I was, um, I was so blessed recently. I um, was listening to Sophia. She's two. And she was playing by herself, and she doesn't really uh, do a lot of talking yet, at least not um, that we can understand. <laughs> and, uh, but she was um, just happy as a lark, playing by herself, and she was simply chanting, Mommy, Daddy, Nona, Papa. Mommy, Daddy, Nona, Papa. And I walked in on her, and I just watched her for a few minutes, you know, and I thought, you know what? God is really bearing witness to me about something here. He's showing me that this child, this grandchild of mine, is happy because she knows that she has a mommy that loves her. She has a daddy that adores her. She has a Nona that thinks she's wonderful. She has a papa that's always going to have her back. Isn't that a wonderful thing for a two-year-old child to know in their spirit, in their heart, that was such a blessing to me. You know, you've heard that God doesn't have any grandchildren, right? You can't be God's grandchild. You can only be his child. And so as precious as grandchildren are, we can't be a grandchild. We have to be a child of God. So no matter how many years you spent going to church with your Christian family, it's a decision you have to make by yourself, right? Um, the fact that your brother's a pastor or your parents were missionaries, that's not going to do it for you. So you have to make that decision by yourself. It's a very personal decision. That's why we call him our personal savior. And so that's what I want uh, to share with you today. God's word says that we should always be ready to give an answer to anybody that would ask us about that hope that we have in us. And so that's what I'm asking him to help me do today. Um, I was so encouraged recently. I got to hear um, Pastor's mom give her testimony, Janet Balsamo. I got to hear Dory, and I got to hear um, Dom this past week. And every time I hear somebody's story, it just blesses my heart so much because it just reiterates to me again how that God works in each and every single one of our lives differently and that he cares about each one of us deeply. 
One of the most precious verses in the Bible to me is Romans 8.28. It says that um, we know all things work together for good to those that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And we know, of course, that all things that happen to us are not good. If you live very long at all, you'll have some things that are difficult, some things that are not good happen to you. But even those bad things, those difficult things, can be used. They can be worked together for our good. And they're really a part of, of the people that we become, right? The people that we're still becoming. Um, we may not be able to understand it. We may never understand all of it, this side of heaven. But I know that it's true that God uses all things for our good. Another verse that is very precious to me is from Psalm 139. And um, I'm going to pull a Pastor Frank this morning. I brought an object lesson. I have a, a jar of sand here, and this sand is jet black. It's from Hawaii. So, you know, as you travel the world, you see sand is different all over the world. In Bermuda, it's pink. And in uh, Sarasota, it's baby fine, like baby powder, you know, super, super fine and soft. This is from Hawaii, and it's when the lava enters the sea, it literally explodes into these beautiful black crystals. So there's literally whole beaches full of this black sand in Hawaii. And I'm just going to put some spit on the end of my finger and dip it in here, and I come out with a finger full of sand. And if I were just to try to count the grains of sand that are sitting on the edge of my finger right now, it would be very difficult. Really, it would be impossible for me to number them. And God's word tells us in Psalm 139, 17 and 18, glasses <laughs> how precious to me are your thoughts concerning me O God how vast is the sum of them were I to count them they would outnumber the grains of sand not just the grains of sand in this jar not just the grains of sand at Smith Point Beach the grains of sand that's how much he cares for us each and every single one of us my mother was an alcoholic, and my father was a gambling addict. We lost several homes and had vehicles repossessed because of it. Not a lot of security growing up. When I was nine years old, they sat my six-year-old sister and I down, and they told us that they would be separating. And of course, I was devastated because no matter how unhappy or maladjusted your family is, it's your family, it's what you know. So I began to look forward to those weekend visits with my father. He would pick up a box of donuts and take us back to his apartment and he would read the paper while we ate our breakfast. And I soon came to understand that what he was actually reading were the times for the dog races and the highlight payouts, all that sort of thing. And there was many a, a Sunday afternoon where he would uh, find a movie theater and just drop us off for two or three hours while he went to gamble. And there were even times when across the street from the highlight there was a Holiday Inn and he would just drop us off at the pool to swim. 
by ourselves. Can you imagine a nine-year-old and a six-year-old? And so it didn't take us long to understand, even at that young age, uh, what was important. Um, Eventually, it was decided that my mother and my father would uh, separate permanently, and she took um, my sister and I to Seneca Falls, New York, to stay with her side of the family, and my father was going to remain in Florida to try to um, get his life straightened out. And um, I remember he promised me, Susie, it's only going to be for six months, just six months, and we'll be back together as a family. So that October, we left for New York, and in February, my father took his own life when he found out that my mother was seeing someone else and did not intend to return. My mother and my aunt left to take care of the funeral arrangements in Florida, and my sister and I were left in the care of my aunt's boyfriend, who was clueless. He uh, sent us to school the next day, and he went to work. And I think back on that day, and I can remember some parts of it very clearly, but I wonder, um, you know, what did I look like? Did I even comb my hair? Did I have clean clothes on? My, my eyes, they had to have been swollen shut. And I walked into that classroom, and that teacher treated me with such kindness. He gave me a hug, and he knew he knew. And that's what I remember about that man. You know, I remember that hug. I remember that kindness. I don't remember uh, what math concepts we learned that year. I don't remember anything we learned in social studies, but I remember how he treated me that day. And I've always tried to remember that um, as an educator myself when I had students in my classroom. That's what they're going to remember. My sister and my mother and I returned to Florida where my mother's drinking escalated to the point that she became emotionally and physically abusive. And things came to a head one evening when she took my sister and I to a shopping mall in Orlando, Florida and said, I'm not going to do this anymore. And she walked away. She left us there. I was 11 and my sister was 8. I took my sister's hand and we walked into a Sears store. I went to the customer service area and I asked the woman behind the counter for change to use the pay phone and I called the police. And I'll never forget the officer on the other end of the line chuckling because he thought it was a, a prank call. We were taken to a parental home that night and we were later placed in a succession of four foster homes. I was so lost as a junior hire. I was that girl that sat in the back of the classroom and just wanted to be invisible. I was just, I was ashamed. I was ashamed of what had happened. I was ashamed of where I lived. I was ashamed of the rejection. I was ashamed of my free lunch card that was in my pocket that I had to show for lunch every day. It was just a terrible time in my life. It's hard enough to be a junior higher, right? When I was 14, my social worker came to us and said, Susie, your mother has had a baby girl. Can you imagine? 
hearing that, oh, by the way, you have a baby sister now. But you know what? She was a godsend. I couldn't run away. I couldn't find my own trouble to get into because I had a responsibility to love and care for her now. And to this day, she's one of the most precious people in my life. She's become a bit of a matriarch between the three sisters. The state of Florida, though, worked very hard to get us back together with my mother. <coughs> Excuse me. There was this constant ebb and flow, you know. Uh, the social group would say, um, she's better, let's give it a try, we'd go back. Things would become intolerable, and I have to call the social worker, we'd be placed in another home. Uh, she just lost all common sense. Uh, she, she put us in danger, she would bring men home. It was just a bad, bad situation. I remember vividly during that time in my life, one night just asking God why, and just begging him that one day I might have a family and that it might be right, that I might have a marriage that lasted and that my children would feel safe and taken care of. <clears throat> when I was 15, we found ourselves in our fourth placement. I was sleeping on a cot in a laundry room. I was beginning my sophomore year of high school. Um, no new clothes, no new shoes, nothing. And uh, just feeling really lost, like the, the weight of the world was on my shoulders. The baby girl was 18 months old at this time, and she was absolutely adorable, all this curly blonde hair. And the foster mother called the social worker and said, this placement's not working out for us. They liked the baby girl, but they were not interested in keeping teenage girls. My social worker said, I'm not breaking these girls up. They have been through enough. I will look for another placement for them to be together. So during that time, coincidentally, in that same town in Florida, there was a young couple, 29 years old. Now I want you to think for a minute about what was important to you, where you were at when you were 29 years old. He was a fireman and she was a stay-at-home mom. They were both struggling with the heartache of an empty nursery. They had had one child successfully, but she had had three miscarriages, unable to carry to full term. The stress of this heartache was tearing their marriage apart. And through the faithful testimony of another fireman at the firehouse, they both came to know Christ. They adopted a baby boy, but still, they felt as if there was something more. They looked into becoming foster parents, and within one week of these inquiries, my sisters and I were placed in their home. That first evening, my foster father lovingly opened a Bible and showed me all those wonderful verses from Romans that talk about God's wonderful plan of salvation for each of us. It was really the first time I had ever seen the inside of a Bible. And you know, God's word's powerful. I love all those verses that talk about the power of God's word and how it's God-breathed. I prayed and I received Christ into my heart that weekend. All of my troubles did not instantaneously disappear, much to my initial surprise. But God began to reveal his will concerning me. Our human understanding 
is so limited and, and short-sighted. We ask for things that seem reasonable, and often we grow weary in the wait. But God has greater plans. His understanding is boundless. His purposes are eternal, and his time frame spans generations. I graduated from high school. I went off to a Christian university several states away. I ended up actually going to the mission field for a short-term assignment as a teacher in Bogota, Colombia. Can you imagine the same girl that wanted to disappear in the back of the classroom in seventh grade? I eventually ended up in an inner-city Christian school in Patterson, New Jersey, the armpit of America. <laughs> I met my husband, Peter, there in church, and I'm going to spill some dirt on him today since he's not here. <laughs> um, so he came to that church. He was 30. He was single, and there were a lot of single teachers there. Even the church secretary was single. He thought he hit the jackpot, you know? So he sampled around for a little while, and um, <laughs> I remember uh, the day that they had, like, the new members um, fellowship, you know, to greet all the new members for that month. There was this long line of people, and everybody had a name tag on, and I went through, and I reached out to shake his hand, and I read his name tag, Peter. And then I kind of hesitated because there were so many vowels, you know, it was like an A and I and E and other I, and I wasn't quite sure. And he said, oh, come on, just give it a try, give it a try. So I looked at it again, and I said, oh, Raniere. And he was so impressed. Matter of fact, he asked me to marry him four months later. <laughs> so we've been married 38 years, 38 years. We have four beautiful children. I have two daughter-in-laws and I have three gorgeous grandchildren. And you know what? My children have never in their lives gone to bed fearful of anything that was happening in our home. They have never doubted that their father and I love them, that we love each other. And this is the difference that Christ has made in my life. He has given me a few rebound points, right? I remember today what he has done in my life and I am thankful for what he is doing now in my life, and I look forward to what he will do. And I want you to know that if you are in that dark place today, that hopeless place, and you need to know that God has a plan for your life, that he has thoughts towards you, I would love to be able to speak with you after the services today and show you some of those verses from Romans. Thank you so much for letting me share. Thank you, Susan, for being so honest and transparent with us and sharing your story. And I just want to say to Peter, because I think he's probably watching online, she'll be home soon, don't worry. <laughs> but thank you, Peter, for allowing her to share uh, this morning and for you taking care of the grandkids. We do appreciate that. So how can I rebound and get up and get better and not bitter? As we... Listen to Susan's story. How can I rebound from such hurt and loss? How can I learn to trust again? How do I rebound when there's no answers for my questions? I want to tell you this morning, it's the word of God 
that becomes an anchor to my soul. What must I believe to be a rebounder? How can I experience God's grace and get up from being down and see God lift me up again? How can I be a rebounder in 2023? To rebound, you have to understand these simple yet profound truths, and I'll be brief this morning. First of all, you need to realize that you'll never have all the answers to all your questions, and you'll never know all the reasons why. Isaiah 40, 28 says, have you not heard, or have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. He understands and is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. And so we see from that verse that God is eternal. He knows the beginning, he knows the end. He's powerful. God doesn't have to stop and catch his breath. You're never going to catch God by surprise. He knows everything that goes on. And yet he gives power to the faint. And he increases strength. Psalm 147.5 says, Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. There's no limit to God's understanding. And um, we need to remind ourselves this morning that we're finite beings, but God's infinite. He works with eternity in mind. You know, we can only measure life in our, the span of our life by what we see and what we feel. We see our crosses and we see our losses in relationship to ourself, and we process everything through ourself. But God's plans are according to eternity. The Bible tells us it's, he's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. It's kind of interesting when you go to a parade and you're standing there and this parade is going on in front of you and you, you see these bands and uh, everything that's, that's there. And this, oh, but all you see is what's in front of you. You don't know what's coming a block or two along the way. You don't know what's coming next. But see, God has that ability because he's God. He sees the beginning and he sees the end. He's seen our life before, actually before you were actually born. God knew you. And he knows the end too. And um, I had a friend years ago. We called him Brother Al. He was a great guy. Very funny. And one of the things that Brother Al did is he taught Sunday school to children. And uh, one of the things that he taught them, and it really came out at his funeral, is these kids kept getting up and you know, talking about Brother Al, and they would all say, Brother Al said, I'll meet you in the O-Room. So everybody was sitting there wondering, what's the O-Room, you know? And so they asked one of the kids to come up and explain it, and he said, Brother, Brother Al taught us that when you get to heaven and you got that question you want to ask God, like, why did it happen? And God tells you, all you can say is, oh, You'll never have all the answers and you'll, to all your questions, and you'll never know the reasons why. Second thing I want to share this morning is God's ways are higher than our ways. Isaiah 55, 8, 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than yours. Now, I don't know if you've ever considered that, you know, or ask yourself, boy, if I was God, I, I certainly wouldn't do it that way. 
And this is where genuine faith comes in. When you can't, um, when you reach a point where you need to realize that you can trust the integrity and the character and the attributes of God, even when his agenda differs from yours. Faith understands Psalms 1830. It says, this God, his ways are perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all who take refuge in him. And then we come to Romans chapter 11. It's kind of interesting near the end of that chapter. It says, oh, the depths of his riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how unscrupulous his word. For who has known the mind of the Lord and who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? And then that last verse of that chapter goes like this. It says, from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. We need to realize that everything comes from God. Everything happens through God and everything ends up in him. To him be the glory forever. From, through, and in him. And you know, as, Sharon, uh, as Susan was sharing her story, I was reminded that, you know, God was orchestrating the things that happened. Not that he was happy with the way it went, because we live life and we make decisions, and people make decisions sometimes for us that we have no control of. But God has a plan, and he takes those things that we've been through and uses them in great ways. So God wants us to stop trying to figure out all that's happened, but he wants us to trust him, to have faith in him, and to move past where we're at. So realize this morning, you'll never figure it all out. The third thing is, it's about the gold, not the glitter. Your spirit, not your flesh, is what God is after. First Peter 1, 6 and 7 says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the testing, tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You're in a church this morning that doesn't feel like you have to put on a facade. You're in a church that believes when you're hurting, God heals hurting people. We've heard it today through Susan's testimony, how she experienced the grace of God, how God brought comfort and strength and healing in her life. We may not be responsible for the things that happen to us, but we certainly are responsible for what we do with the things that have happened to us. And we need to respond vertically and not horizontally. To rebound, you must understand, number four, that you must surrender all the sin, hurt, bitterness, all the pain to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Past experiences, past hurts, past wounds, we need to give those to God. Because until you do, Calvary will not cover what you keep covered. Calvary will not heal what you hold on to. Psalm 147, 3 says, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Psalm 35, second half of that verse says, Weeping may tarry for the night, 
but joy comes in the morning. Psalm 3.3 says, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. Mourning, pain, hurt, they're all real. They hurt, but God wants to heal us. I serve a God that um, the Bible calls a high priest who's been touched by the feelings of my infirmities. So why does God want to comfort me? Why does God want to heal me? Is it just to make me happy? Well, that's not entirely the full picture. God does want us to experience joy again. But it's really not about me. It's because in 2 Corinthians 1, 4, we'll back up to verse 3. It says, blessed be the Lord, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Verse 4 says, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. He comforts us and he heals us so that he can use us to reach others and bring the comfort and the healing that we've received so we can pass it on to someone else. I really believe there's some here today that need to be rebounders. God wants to get you back up on your feet and help you. He wants you to go on. And I really see so clearly from Scripture that rebounding is a biblical principle. God doesn't want us to stay down. He wants us to get back up again. I'm going to ask Pastor Tony to come this morning and, and uh, close out the service. Appreciate him. Amen. Good morning. Thank you, Pastor Frank. Thank you, Susan, for sharing your story. I love to hear the many ways that God brings us to himself and just the, the stories that are involved in that process. You're looking at a guy who's had to have many a rebound, and this guy, this white guy doesn't jump either. <laughs> but I've been on the receiving end and, and needed to do a rebound myself. Sometimes rebounds are necessary because of, as we saw in Susan's story, she didn't do anything to bring down herself. Sometimes things come into our life that are just hard. But God's grace is sufficient. And the God who loved her heard the cry of that little girl and granted her the desires of her heart and uses it for his glory and has received the glory from it. And so sometimes things come into our life that we need a, a rebound from that were in our fault. I know for myself, I grew up in a home. My dad was an alcoholic, and that, the result of that uh, caused a lot of upheaval in, in, our, in our lives. And, but we rebounded. God got a hold of dad, and he came to Christ, and he restored us. And uh, we saw a rebound there. The kids didn't bring that on themselves. But God is faithful to bring us through a rebound. But sometimes, sometimes we go through a rebound because of some decisions we've made. And we need a rebound. Sometimes we do things that bring consequences, that bring us to a point where all we can do is look us up. But you know, the principles are the same. It's still the same God who gives us the grace for the rebound. 
Yeah, I've discovered there are people that don't want to extend a rebound to other people. I know that there are, there are people who want to keep them in shame, disconnected. I know there are times that people can't extend themselves the grace that's necessary for a rebound. They've become familiar with shame. They've become familiar with guilt. And that's not what your father wants. But you know what? Your God is the God of the rebound. Christ came so that we might confess our sins. And if, if our, our need for a rebound is because of our decisions, we can come to him asking forgiveness and experience a rebound. If our need for a rebound is for things that just happened in our life, knowing that, as, as Solomon said, the, the, the rain falls upon the just and the unjust, I want you to know God is there for a rebound. And as Susan pointed out, you know, God has a wonderful way of working all things together for the good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. And so this, this morning, we want to end the service a little different than we normally do. We're going um, to respond in worship again, giving God glory. Um, but if you're here this morning and you're in need of a rebound, um, perhaps through fault of your own or perhaps through fault that was not your own, I'm going to have our elders come forward and um, they're going to be available for you for prayer. Um, we're going to stand in a moment. We're going to worship. And we're not looking to make a spectacle, but we do want to give you an opportunity for prayer. I'm going to ask um, Fran and, and Dory if you'd come as well. And I'll be available for our ladies that would um, feel more comfortable come for a lady to, for prayer. Um, maybe you don't need prayer individually, and you could just respond for your seat as well. But we just want to, we want to respond different. Today could be a new day. Amen. The grace of God is there for us. And as long as there's a pulse that's, that, that's in, our, in our heart, uh, there's an opportunity for a rebound. Amen. Let's stand together and ask our elders to come and if the ladies would come, it would be available for prayer. That would be wonderful.